morning. I uh, hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, if you have a Bible, go to Galatians. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't have one, there are Bibles in the back that you can grab on the tables. These are our uh, gift to you. And uh, just want to say if you're new or visiting with a family or a friend, welcome. We love you. We're glad you're here. Glad you get to worship with us. And uh, in case you're wondering what you're, what you're seeing or witnessing, this is a worship service. We worship uh, Jesus Christ. I believe he was God. And he did come in human flesh and did die the debt that was necessary for us in our sin and uh, rose, uh, gifting us eternal life and reconciliation with God. So we're thrilled to celebrate that, to talk about that, to enjoy that. Uh, and we do that by a number of ways. One is by singing. That's why we sing songs here, because uh, Jesus has, in fact, done that. Uh, so we want to sing songs that elevate him and talk about this person and work. We also uh, worship Jesus by uh, sitting under the teaching of God's words. We might see what God has revealed to us. We know that we don't have to blindly speculate, but we've received divine revelation from him. And all he wants to say to us as his people. Uh, we also observe the Lord's Supper each week. Uh, we do not believe that it gives righteousness or earns merit or favor with God, but it's a gift that Jesus gave the church to be nourished uh, week in and week out as they remember the centrality of Jesus Christ and all that they do. And then finally, we give uh, because we're uh, people that desire to be generous because God has been profoundly generous in giving us Jesus. We give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And I always say for new visiting, not a regular tender, we are not interested in your finances. Uh, we just hope that you come to know this Jesus, love him, and serve him. Um, not sure if we get the feedback monitor turned on. Uh, it's off, but uh, just uh, FYI. Um, we're going to dive into Galatians 6. I'm going to pray. I got... Now I've got three announcements real quick before we, before we pray. Uh, first is the Messiah concert. We have a number of our own that participate in this uh, every year. And I will say, it is a phenomenal opportunity to bring a friend uh, or someone who has not heard the gospel or is interested this time of year to go to things uh, who is musically inclined. I had a young man last year who started coming to this church for four weeks. And uh, he heard us announce this. He went and felt like he really he heard the clear gospel for one of the f first times uh, through the ways that they sung this and did this. This is at uh, Hawthorne Gospel Church. It's this Saturday at 7. I uh, just want to encourage you to go if you're able um, and take some friends and some family. Um, also want to let you know that corporate prayers this Wednesday. Corporate prayer has been a phenomenal time for us uh, as a church. We pray that it continues to grow. Uh, we worship and we uh, pray and we're specific uh, in the things that we ask God for. And we've just been seeing God uh, grow that time in unbelievable ways. Uh, so we're grateful for that. We just want to remind you that's the last Wednesday of every month at 7.30, 7.30 to 8.30. And that will be uh, right in this room this Wednesday, so hope to see you there. And finally, we're excited. Advent this year, this is our last Sunday in Galatians. I, I shed a tear uh, this morning, i got to be honest. Uh, this series has been unbelievable. It's been fruitful. Um, but we're going to be turning the page to Advent next Sunday. And for the month of December, uh, we're going to be taking Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and just teaching through that section of Scripture for the month of December. Uh, and we're going to see this Jesus as servant king uh, and why his incarnation, why his coming is so marvelous and so good. And we're also going to be memorizing uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11 as a church. Our hope next week is to have cards for you to have. But so listen, when we show up, now listen, those, those can be terrifying for some of you. You're like, oh my gosh, I never memorized anything in my life. That's okay. Uh, just bring your Bible and cheat. You can look down. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, what we're going to try to do is just kind of embed this into our hearts. Scripture memory is such a profound gift. Uh, God doesn't tell us just to read the Bible. He tells us to memorize it and meditate on it uh, so that, that we, as we hide it in our hearts, it might uh, lead us well. And so uh, Philippians 2, next week, I'm going to give you the text. It's Philippians 2, 5, and 6. Okay, so we're just memorizing those two verses. I'm 
I'm going to come up, and we're going to say it together, okay, before the sermon. Uh, you're going to say it with me, okay? It's not just going to be your pastor saying it. We're going to say it together. So we'll send you an email reminder. Uh, we'll pester you all week long, just reminding you, and uh, we will pray that God would use this uh, Advent series uh, to grow us uh, this year. I'm very excited for that. So um, let's pray that God would help us with all he wants us to tie the loop on in Galatians this morning. God, thank you that we have the scriptures. Uh, Thank you that they're true. Thank you that they reveal uh, who you are and what you've done and who we are and what we need. And thank you that it's Jesus and that it's his grace and that it's his gospel and that it's his work and not ours. Uh, God, compel us to good works through the grace that we have been shown and indwelt and given. Uh, Father, help us to be a people that are marked by grace, um, who love to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and nothing else. Uh, Father, form us as a people in rich ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 6. Paul's just going to basically land the plane. Uh, if, you, if this is your first time in this study, you basically get kind of a summary uh, this morning. I encourage you to go back and listen to the last 12 weeks as we've been uh, just walking through Paul emphatically, clearly, consistently, uh, and persistently just kind of say, hey, you got to get the gospel right. And you got to understand that the gospel is about grace. It's not by works. It's not about what you do. It's not about your tradition. not about your heritage. not about uh, your learnings or your wisdom or your intuition. It's about a God outside of you that intervened in human history and came and died a scandalous death for us in our place and gifts righteousness based upon nothing that you do. Solely by believing in his work, we are made righteous. This is great exchange that happens. He takes our sin and he gifts us his righteousness. And so I uh, want to just encourage you, this is where he's been, this is how he's going to end. We're actually going to take a full circle and start today where I started the first sermon I ever gave you, if you were here, uh, verse 11 of chapter 6. So uh, we're going to start in this text and finish up the next six verses. And this is what Paul says as we come full, full circle to the end of this letter. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So uh, we said in the beginning, and he's going to end it here, remind us, Paul usually had like a scribe, someone he would have write down the things that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, and then he would send that letter to these places, whether it was the churches that he planted or their uh, places that he wanted these letters to get to or these people or individuals. And, and he says here, man, that this, this, this subject is so pressing, it's so urgent, you can see that I've been writing this with my own hand. I haven't said a scribe, right? You can read the end of Romans where he says, uh, Tertius, uh, you receive this from Tertius. He sends his greetings for me, right? There's this understanding that Paul used to send people, but with the thing about the gospel, this letter to the Galatian churches, he goes, look, I'm so emphatic about this thing. You can see how large my letters are getting, Right? Um, I don't know if you've ever written a long letter, but you know your hand grows weary over time. Right? So you start out, it's all neat and cute and pretty, and then uh, by the end, it's not big and looks like your kindergartner, you know, like just all over the place. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I, I wanted to get this out in one sitting because there's something I'm trying to lay before you. And what is it? Um, that you've got to get the gospel right. That Jesus died for sin, that Jesus rose for sin, that Jesus ascended to the Father, that he gifts his Holy Spirit, that you can't live without him, that you were meant to live for him. He's, he's just emphatic that you know this. So the reason that he's emphatic and the reason he's saying, hey, you need to hear this is he just unpacked that for the last 12 weeks. That the gospel's of dire importance, that even though it's beautiful and powerful, we all have a temptation to drift from it. And so we say, yeah, I needed the gospel when I was five, and I went to youth camp, but I don't need it now. 
No, we need it every moment of every day as we grow as the people of God. If the gospel's not fueling you and informing you, something's off. Um, And the other part he addresses is, the other reason it's so emphatic that you get this is the danger of deceit. The danger of deceit is you can believe you're right when you're wrong, and it's a terrifying thing to be wrong when you think you're right of eternal matters. So he wants to make sure you get it. So make sure you understand this. So verse 12, now he's just going to basically summarize all that he said. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul's been writing to these churches in Galatia who have been infiltrated by these false teachers, and, and they're saying one of two things. You either add to Jesus or you subtract to Jesus. Paul's saying, no, it's Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is everything, right? Jesus is, is all things. All that Jesus does is all that you need in the sufficiency for this salvation work. And um, he's going, no, it's all about grace. And he says these people are saying you have to be circumcised, but he says the reason they're doing this is because they don't want to be persecuted, They just want to be popular. That's why they're actually talking about this. See, see, there are are plenty of churches and even Christians that will will avoid difficult texts, right, to appease the masses, right? Well, and Paul's saying, no, here, I'm going to tell you the truth, right? He goes, everyone else is going, you better do this, you better do this. Why? Because that's what the masses believe. But he says, no, um, that's not the truth. Everyone's just going along with everyone else because they're fearful of their own reputation, I mean, I was thinking about this this week. I mean, the Bible says wide is the road that leads to destruction, right? Narrow is the road that leads to life. So anytime some, like, new teaching, new theology, new movement comes along, well, hold on a second, man, because the Bible says wide is the road. Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Everybody wants to be a part of it. Hey, I discovered something new that no one else got right somehow. I figured it out. I'm always going, hold on a second. Let me, let me pray about that. Let me seek that out. Like, what, what, what really is that? What is that, what is that saying? Is it, is, it, is it based upon the scriptures? Is it, is it informed by God's word? Or is it just some cute new thing that people just want to join in? again. Because he says, man, a lot of people are just going to give you false directives because they just want to be popular. They just want attention, and they don't want to offend, and they don't want to be persecuted. Um, And yet we know the cross can be offensive. Even though it's the best news in the world, it offends us because it says we don't do anything, and we actually want to do something. We actually want to participate in the bottom of who we are. Now, Now, Paul's going, I'm going to stand on this thing even if I get persecuted. I mean, I mean, isn't this a temptation for all of us? I mean, if you're human, right? I mean, I can still remember becoming a Christian. And one of my first prayers was, okay, God, man, I want to give you my life, but just don't alter my popularity. I can remember that. Like bartering with him in this, in this transactional deal. I, I, I want to follow you. I, I, re, I see what I see in the scriptures, but could you, don't, don't bring suffering. Like, don't make my life harder. All right? Can you ease it? Right? I mean, it's just, and that's why I always say, man, it's not the easiest life, but it's the best life. Right? It, it's a life that, that, is, that is tied and tethered to the God of the universe who does all things for the good of his will and the joy of our souls. And, and so this is tempting for us. But, you know, Jesus wasn't real popular when he started opening his mouth. Uh, Jesus, when he went in before masses, most people didn't receive his message. Most people didn't want to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. And he's saying, man, this is a gospel that is serious. 
And Paul's saying you can hear a lot of other messages that will keep you from persecution, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. That's a good mark of a true teacher, right? You need to sit under someone who's not afraid to tell you the truth. You need to be under someone, right, under a teaching and preaching of someone who's not afraid to tell you what the scriptures say. He's not telling you what he thinks. He's telling you what God has already said. That, that's, 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 and Paul has been clear in his letter about this because he knows that's the lifeline for the church. But here's the other crux of the offense. Here's the other side. I want you to think about this, and it kind of comes at a different angle. The cross is also offensive to our feelings, and sometimes we don't want to hear the truth because we don't want to be offended in our own feelings. Here's what I mean by this. If you give me a list of do's and don'ts, man, the competitive Mike Reed, the alpha male that's deep down in there, is going to jump at that because now I got something to combat others with. So, man, if I just don't have to cuss out loud and I can just kind of not drink too much and I can lust less and I can attend church a little bit more. And so if for God to love me, if I can do those things, then I can out-discipline someone. And then what happens? I get to boast in me. So then I get to compare myself in the church and say, well, man, look at how disciplined I am. Look at how disciplined I am. And, and I can compare myself to the rest of the people in the sheep pen. And he's saying, this is why grace is so great. See, he's saying these men and women, they, they say you have to add something to Jesus. You have to be circumcised because when you preach the cross, the cross says you don't do anything. The cross says you don't do anything. You just believe. It's an amazing message, yet it goes against the grain of really who you are and your DNA of just wanting to validate yourself, wanting to validate who you are, wanting to prove God that you're worth his love and worth his time or that you are God and you can accomplish what you can accomplish. And the gospel comes along and says, no, we have no ground for boasting. God does it all through God. God saves you through God. God saves you by God. God redeems you through his finished work, not your finished work, through his merits, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Such a good message. Yet our, our, our flesh is still resistant to this, and that's why these false teachers were in this for themselves. They don't want to offend you by telling you you can't, but God can. And Paul goes, no, I'm just honest to tell you you can't, but God can, if you're humble enough to receive it. If you're humble enough to enjoy it. Verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Isn't that the irony? You ever met self-righteous people? They're just fully aware of your blind spots but not their own? <laughs> Sorry. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He's referring back to what he's already taught in the book. You have two choices. You can be under the law, but understand if you're under the law, you're fully under the law. And if you're under grace, understand you're fully under grace. So here are your two choices. Either try to uphold the law, and if you break it once, you're fully under the law and you're condemned and judged. Or you live under grace so that you need something outside of you to uphold the law, namely Jesus Christ, so that even when you fall short, grace still abounds. He says there's really only one of two choices here. And so he's saying these, these people who are teaching you these things who are such sticklers about the law, about the 600 plus laws of, of Moses, those who are such sticklers about the that they're trying to get you to submit to a law that they themselves haven't even fully been able to submit to. How hypocritical is that and why? Because they want to boast about themselves. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've succeeded. Well, aren't I really great? I'm well-trained. I'm well-educated. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. Check out me. Does Paul boast? Absolutely. 
Does he boast in himself? No. Verse 14. Boast in something else. He found something else to boast in that was far superior to himself, that gave him way more joy than boasting in his own accolades and his own achievements and his own wants. Something that settled his identity for him when he was searching for it. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I want to camp out here for just a moment with you. Far be it from me to boast. What do you brag about? And it doesn't have to be externally, even out loud. What do you brag about in your heart? When God sees. He says, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this, this convicted me this week. I mean, every week I'm convicted. I, my face is in these texts and I'm going, geez, now I have to like regurgitate this like onto the sheep? This is like, this is hard. But what you guys get is just me vomiting out what I've been critiqued by, right? That's, that's what preaching is. I mean, just God's work in me and me feeling impregnated to just share it and, and give it to all of you guys and the ways that I've been receiving it. And, and I thought about this week. I thought, man, um, there's a desire in me to talk about me. There totally is. Like, there's totally this, this want in Mike Reed to want to boast in the things that he's done. I mean, are we allowed to be honest? I mean, I don't know. As a church, like, like, I don't know about you. Like, what, where are you tempted to boast? Are you tempted to boast that? Because Paul says, man, um, I never want to boast in anything except the cross. Here's why. Um, because the truth is, man, what do you or I have that could possibly outdo or hold a candlestick to the cross? <laughs> like, what could we possibly boast in that's better than what the cross has done? What, that you're, you're some business person who's owned a $5 billion company, and you're going to boast in that? Oh, God exists in infinite wealth. He made the money that you have. Right? What, are we going to boast that we're the most beautiful person who's ever walked the planet? Right? God's the most glorious, magnificent, perfect being that exists. He created beauty itself. And this God, right, in the cross, in the work of Jesus Christ, this God incarnates, right? He empties himself, takes the form of a servant. I mean, inconceivable humility, right? And he lives without sin, and he is scorned, and he is shamed, and he is betrayed, and he is mocked, and he's rejected, and he is ridiculed, and he, right before he dies, he says, Father, Father forgive him. Forgive everyone who's blasphemed my name. Forgive everyone who's belittled my glory. Forgive, forgive everyone who's wanted to go their own way and be their own God. And then he, he dies, death being the payment for sin because the wages of sin is death. Right? He, he dies for sin and then he rises, right, being your intercessor, your advocate, your king, your father, not just your judge. We learn all these truths throughout creations. And then, and then he gets and he goes, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to gift you my spirit so that my love and my wisdom and my very life will be rained down on you every day for the rest of your life. And everything good for you comes from me and everything good from you comes from me. And I'm going to brag about me. I'm going to brag about myself. I'm going to boast in me and what I've accomplished. That's what Paul's saying. Really? You're going to boast in the things that you've, that you've done? 
That's why Paul says, Lord, keep me from talking just about me. If I'm going to spend my life talking about something, may it be that. May it be that. It's all about Jesus. And these false teachers are going, look at my converts. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my works. Paul's going, look at the cross. Look at Jesus. See the author and perfecter of your faith, Hebrews 12. Colossians 3, fix your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, Jesus, we've been talking about this for the last seven weeks. Right? The Christian life is not about avoiding sin. It's about pursuing a person. It's not about not sinning. It's about seeing Jesus and growing closer to Jesus so that sin grows farther away. So the joy increases. I thought of a, a, a verse this week. In Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26, verse 8, says, In the path of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our soul. Can you say that? Can you, can you be honest this morning and just, I don't know, can you say that to him? Man, the desire of the end of your life is that no one will remember you. Can you honestly say that? That at the end of your life, like your greatest desires, not just all the accomplishments and so that everybody likes you and everybody knows what you've done, how you've made a name for you. Because I want to let you know something. At the end of it all, like you're not going to have a name in the sense of you're not being worshipped in glory. <laughs> he is. You're going to be so consumed and captivated by him that, man, you're going to forget about you. That's why in Revelation, even all those crowns that we have, man, we're just going to throw them back at his feet. You're awesome. You're king. You're great. I'm not. You're awesome. You save. I don't save. I wasn't perfect. You're perfect. I wasn't good. You were good always. I wasn't faithful. You were endlessly faithful. That's how it will be. And I just, I wonder. I, I looked at this verse and I had to really ask myself see, what a magnificent thing to pursue. This is the message of Galatians, right? It's all about Jesus, it's all about grace. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the, the essence of Galatians. This is what Paul's been trying to say. I'm, I'm dying to make a name for myself, and I'm living to make a name for Jesus. This is why, I, maybe we haven't even been aware of it, this is why when we sing songs, we don't sing about Mike Reed. Like we don't, right? I mean, I, there's none that have been written. I mean, my own, like in my basement, right? Like that. But, but there's none that have been written for the church. No one's singing to David Suthar. No one's singing to Luke Rowland or whoever else is leading. Like, we're not singing to them. We're singing to him. Otherwise, we'd write messages. That's why you're not in the scriptures. I love it. I'm just looking for me. You're not going to find you. You're going to find Jesus who's awesome, who saves you. You're lost. You're outside the pages. And he's grabbing a hold of you and bringing you into his story. That's what you'll see in the scriptures. So Paul says, man, I boast in Christ. See, the more your life centers around you, the more miserable you become. Like, that's just the way it is. I mean, the most self-consumed people are the most miserable. You want to know why? This is, all, this is all identity, boasting in the cross and me being crucified to the world. This is Galatians 2.20, right? Because in Jesus Christ... Um, You've been set free from needing anyone to validate you or to validate your meaning and purpose, right? My wife, like, like she doesn't exist to validate me. She doesn't exist to fill me. I already have my filling in Jesus, 
right? Like, like my, my son, he doesn't exist to be a reflection of how perfect my parenting skills are. Like I'm set free from that because I have my filling in Christ. See, see when you remove identity from, from relationship with the creator God, which happened in Genesis 3, and then you put that identity on your shoulders, it becomes crushing. And not only to you, but to everyone around you. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you've been set free, this, this, this amazing identity. Because without reconciliation with God, without grace in the gospel, you're left to your own intuitions and devices to figure out fulfillment, to figure out purpose, to figure out identity. Who am I? Why do I exist? What makes me whole? What makes me satisfied? What, what forgives sin? And the gospel answers all those questions. And so now it's amazing I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. I belong to Jesus. Now I'm content. Now I'm safe. Now I'm warm. Now I have meaning. Now I have a name in Christ. Mike reads just a, a usage here. Right? I'm not predominantly a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. You're not predominantly a, a school worker or an architect or a mom or a dad. You're predominantly in Christ. You're his you're owned by him, a good father that loves you, brought relief in his justification, and brought you warmth and a home and unconditional love and affection when he adopted you in his family as kid. And Paul says that's transformative. And then Paul just brings us down to this place where he tells us how this is all possible. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a Man, if you write in your Bible, it's not sacrilegious, it's not heresy. Take out your pen, circle new creation. That's everything in this letter. He goes, you want to know what counts? A new creation. He's saying what doesn't count for anything is circumcision or uncircumcision. He's going, uh, legalist or licentious, neither of those count. Here's what he means by that. He means, he, he means that when it comes to right standing with God, if you've come in here and your marriage is a train wreck, or you come in here and you reek of alcohol, or you come in here and you've uh, you know, just avoided the, the major sins, or you come in here and you feel like you are unsavable, and you also come in here and you're the church person who's grown up, and you can you know, not cuss in public, and you cannot get too drunk, and your lust level has gone down. He goes, both of those things before the God of the universe won't stand. Isn't that awesome? That, that you need Christ. You need him to stand for your licentious works and your legalistic works. This is my testimony. Legalist. I was being damned by my good works. I was such a good person I didn't realize how lost I was. That was me freshman year of college. And God just revealed, wow, you, you've been trying to earn me by just being good, being on the outside, on the exterior, holy. And God invaded my life. And that's why Paul says, here's what does count. A new creation. Have you met Jesus? Have you encountered him? Have you been transformed by him? That's Galatians. False teachers simply care about what you look like on the outside. Is your life cleaned up? Do you behave well? Listen, you can get all people to get to, to all kinds of good things through, through religious works, through merits, through force, through piety, through traditions. Through, I mean, you can get anyone to do things on the outside. Uh, God says, I look at the heart, not just the outside. Do they know Jesus? Have they met Jesus? Have they encountered Jesus? And if they have, they'll be transformed by him. Well, he doesn't look like a Christian. I don't know. You know their heart? What counts is a new creation. What counts is Christ. What counts is you being indwelt by his spirit. What counts is that God has invaded their life. So you can get people to not drink, not listen to certain music, not watch certain movies, 
not do certain things, but if they don't love Jesus, they die and go to hell as just moral people. Who cares? Who cares? That's why, man, we're preaching Jesus here. So we're talking about the gospel's work because that's what transforms. Man, listen, I can make people do good things. I can scare people into good works. You can't scare anyone into heaven. You know you can't scare anyone into loving God. They have to see his love for them and be transformed by that from the inside out. That's what Paul's been laying before us. So if someone loves Jesus, their life will get cleaned up. But if the goal is to clean up their life without pressing them into loving Jesus, Paul says that's a false gospel. He says that's not a true gospel. Verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? Grace over law. Who all walk by grace over trying to obey the law. Peace and mercy be upon you. Isn't that what you get when you live under grace? There's peace, there's mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Look at the word mercy. Peace and mercy be upon them. Okay, Here's how the word mercy is so important. In the original language, it literally means to change the subject. (laughs) Here's what this means. This is so incredible. God just wants to change the subject on you. So you come in going, oh, Lord, please forgive me. Look at what I've done. He wants to turn around and go, no, look what I've done. That's what it means there. Oh, Lord, I'm just, I'm just looking at all of this stuff. I mean, I, I, I know what you did. I, I mean, look at what I've done, though. I mean, this is, and he goes, I know you did that. Now, let's look at the cross and quit looking at that. Isn't that grace? I mean, I mean all of us coming in going, man, I fell short again. He goes, oh, I know you did. Uh, look at the cross again. <laughs> look at forgiveness. Look at Calvary. Look at where you found redemption and reconciliation and unconditional love by me. And stay there and don't ever get up. Right? Don't move on to greater glories. There's no greater glory. Don't brag in anything else that's beyond the cross. The cross is central to all that you are and all that you boast in, and it was solely given by grace from Jesus. Not grace from you or grace from someone else or grace through your family line or grace through your heritage or grace through your traditions or grace through your systematic theology or grace through your speaking in tongues or grace through you getting the second wind. It came from Jesus. Grace comes from Jesus and only Jesus. And he saves us and restores us and forgives us and places us as his own. That's grace. And I love this. Verse 12 just reiterates or reiterates what he said in verse 12. If you follow the path of Jesus, you'll be persecuted. Look, I bear the marks of someone who followed Jesus. Uh, he was beaten consistently and severely, Paul was, because of his faithfulness and his honesty about the gospel. Persecution came. Listen, friends, do not think that if you live by grace that everyone will like you. Like, set yourself up for right expectations. Don't think if you love Jesus and claim the name of Christ that everyone's going to be your best friend. That's not the message of the scriptures. You get God as your friend. <laughs> I don't care about Andy. <laughs> I don't know who Andy is. Made it up. I, like, like I, I get God as my friend. I, that, right, that, that settles it, right? <laughs> so how do we get to this place where we're transformed, made new from the inside out, walking by the Spirit, loving one another, bearing burdens, not being deceived, having confidence and courage in the gospel, verse 18. 
the last verse he writes. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Man, if you have to summarize the Christian faith in one small sentence, I think that one might be at the top five. Just because I'm not thinking of any others in the Bible off the top of my head. Right? I mean, that's got to be in the top five. I mean, that's just it. The grace of Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. It comes from Jesus. And I gift you my spirit to walk and be empowered by this grace. And that's the message of the scriptures. You don't earn it. You can't wage it. You can't obtain it. You can't reconcile it. You got a debit credit sheet that's way out of whack. And you need your payment in your account paid off. And you need a credit that is infinite. And he gives you both of those things in Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. While the false teachers are saying it's about you, Paul says it's about what Jesus does. Here's why. There's this continual temptation in our hearts to believe that we're flying solo and that we're abandoned and that we got to heal ourselves and cleanse ourselves and fix ourselves. That is a pervasive myth that we live under. Um, it's the thing that we chase. And I love this because here we come before God and we say, I'm not good. And God says, but Jesus is. But I haven't paid you back, but Jesus has. But I'm not that lovely. It's not about lovely yours, that you've been loved. But I'm not cleansed. Jesus has cleansed you. You can just go through the list. But I'm not worthy. Jesus has made you worthy. I don't deserve love, though. You've been loved. I haven't merited or earned anything. I'm not good, but Jesus is. And the Bible promises that even when we're faithless, he's faithful to us. That's grace. That's the good news of the scriptures. And Paul said last week, you know, sometimes you're going to want to lose heart. You're going to fall into false belief. You're going to go, man, is this thing working? Am I running in vain? He knows that you're going to get tired and you're going to need others and you're going to need to be reminded that you reap what you sow and that if you keep depositing and sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap a harvest in due time. It's not about it not working. It's about, is it time? And then he says at the right time, this unmerited, undeserved grace from Jesus Christ is what empowers you in those moments of weakness because his Holy Spirit resides in you. You have not been abandoned. You have not been lost. And you remember grace once again, the grace that sustains you and saves you, keeps you, and finally glorifies you. I want to just take a minute to end by sharing you a couple snippets of what God's been doing among us through this study. Um, because God's grace is loving, transformative. It doesn't leave us the same when we're changed, right? That's why if you read the scriptures, people that encounter the grace of the gospel, sometimes their names are changed. Abram goes to Abraham. Cephas goes to Peter. Saul goes to Paul. It shows that God, the gospel doesn't lead. It makes you a new creation. This is what counts. You're made new. You're transformed. Because when you encounter the living God, you become a new creation. And Romans 12 says, which is an awesome text, that you've been a recipient of grace so that you can then dispense grace. So you become a conduit of his grace. So God doesn't just save you solely so you glorify his name vertically. You glorify his name horizontally as you extend this grace to the people of God and to others. So it's not only God decreeing the ends, which is loving and changing people, he decrees the means, which is working through you and me. Isn't that incredible? That this grace works through you and me? That this grace is not just something we receive, but it's something that's given 
And that often happens through others. Um, I could share with you so many stories of change. And honestly, there are too many for time. And I don't have them all in writing. Um, but, but just through conversations, there's been unbelievable ways that the, the study of Galatians has transformed me. So as your pastor, I just wanted to encourage you with just a few. This is a few, just a snippet. Probably not even the best ones. Just to encourage you what God has been doing among us. One person said, Pastor Mike, I've been a Christian for over 25 years. And through this study of Galatians, I'm just now beginning to understand grace. It goes against the grain of my default posture to earn. I'm overwhelmed by his kindness in the cross. I pray I continue to learn more about this grace, which I've read for years in the church, and I'm only now beginning to have imprinted in my soul. Another person writes, I never understood God as father, only as judge. I've only lived in fear of him and not delight in him. Learning the transaction of God justifying us and making us righteous while becoming our Father has brought intimacy, joy, desire, and greater longing in my relationship with Jesus. I now long to be with him, approach him, walk with him, learn about him, and please him. I have eagerness in sharing my faith because how can I not tell others about this amazing grace? <laughs> Thank you. One person's excited, and he's a pastor, so that's, that's obvious. Thank you, Mike. Another person writes, the rest of you are pagans. All right. So, so, I love you. All right. Third one. I was visiting New Jersey for a month to see family. I didn't know where I was going to worship before heading back home. Then I stumbled into, I love that, I stumbled into church at Bergen. That's how it always happens. But so many of you, I don't know, I just stumbled back in here. I'm like, I don't know, is that encouraging or <laughs> discouraging? No, man, I loved it. Warehouse, weird, but hey, it's good. So, I stumbled into church at Bergen. It was a lifetime for, it was a lifeline for me for the past four weeks. In my 10 years of being a Christian, I'd never been taught what a false teacher or a false gospel was. I never heard this. Becoming aware of what is true and what is false has transformed the way that I listen to preaching, I read and study the word of God. The Lord has revealed things that I have been believing that are false about him through the study of Galatians and opened my eyes to how good the truth is and how the truth actually does set you free. Another person writes, I had given up on church for two years, and I just began attending church at Bergen a couple weeks ago. I happened to come when Galatians was being taught. Understanding the true gospel, the Lord called me back with a strong hand and is transforming my life. Before this time, for two years, I walked away. I no longer trusted a pastor, Bible teacher, Christian, or the Bible itself. I was mad at God. Christians and my theology was completely screwed up, and I had no idea why God was putting me in such difficult circumstances. I had been taught that if I had enough faith, everything should go fine. But hearing and understanding the true gospel every single week has been used to draw me back so strongly. I was convicted that the reason I was able to be led so far astray was because I was following the doctrines and teachings of men and not Jesus. These central truths of Jesus and his grace that are central, as I slowly continue to see it, transforms everything, at least for me, it flipped my world upside down. Praise God. Is anyone excited? Okay, I mean, goodness, you got to pulse check it. Okay, last one. Going to give you one more. This is from a woman who was Muslim, became a Christian, and moved to New Jersey three years ago from California. Moved to New Jersey three years ago from California. When I moved here, I was looking to find a church that I could call home. I went to a couple, but for some reason, I seemed to discern that wasn't where the Lord wanted me. I kept asking and praying and the Lord to the Lord, and I still didn't receive any confirmation. Then 
On a Sunday, two people I had met invited me to come to church at Bergen. I accepted even though I wasn't sure. I came in the middle of the worship. I heard the Lord told me, this is your place. Being at Cab has opened my eyes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Since attending, I've been receiving the right food, right food from teaching. It's a full holiday meal to come back each week and receive food through teaching, worship, communion, and my passion for sharing good news with others has been restored. Galatian study has allowed me to minister to a Christian friend who had deep challenges with her earthly father, and it was holding her like a strong chain. I was able to share with her the incredible reality that God is our Father who cries, Abba. The Holy Spirit was able to release her from that bondage and understand that God is Father, not just judge. I give all thanks and glory to God for my new home at Cab. May grace continue here. I would continue to lean on Jesus and know his gospel and be transformed by it. Father, help us to be a people that love grace and are sustained by grace and are encouraged by grace. Father, thank you that grace transforms, that grace doesn't leave us the same. God, thank you that you're in the business of making new creations. God, thank you that you're a good father who loves us in spite of us. Thank you that you transform us in spite of us. Thank you that when we could not please you, you pleased yourself in Christ. Thank you that when we could not measure up, you measured us up in fullness in Christ. Thank you that when our identity was a train wreck, you settled our identity in Christ. God, thank you when burdens are too heavy to bear, you carry them in Christ. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us alone as orphans, but gave us your Holy Spirit to be empowered and walk and serve and live and love as Christ. Father, would you mark us as a people, Lord, in years to come that are a church that loves to talk and boast about the cross. We don't boast in ourselves and what we've accomplished, but that we celebrate you. I pray even that presently on earth would be a foretaste of heaven. God, I pray you continue transforming men and women by the power of your gospel. I pray you would continue the work that you promised to finish. God, thank you that even these prayers are prayed from a place of victory. That Christ has already won and already defeated Satan, sin, and death. You've drawn us into your story. You've allowed us to participate in celebrating you and your glorious work. God, I pray for those of us that still have a bent towards legalism to earn and merit and prove ourselves before you. Might you humble us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, those of us that still live a licentious life that believe we could abuse this grace that's been freely given, God, might you humble us in showing us that grace transforms it doesn't leave us the same. Father, help us to pursue Christ and not simply avoid sin. And might your gospel be the thing that is center in all that we do, all that we say, and all that we dream of here for years to come, as long as you'd have it. In Jesus' name, amen.